On today's ETF Think Tank Exchange, we'll explore the role of gold in a portfolio allocation as a source of diversification. Given the market's recent volatility, this topic is especially timely. We have two superb guests who bring very different perspectives and who are uniquely qualified to help you learn more. One is an investment strategist that thinks about how the asset class performs as a whole. The other is an advisor who manages a portfolio which also allocates to gold and can help you think about the same. Our guests include Max Gold, who is the head of gold strategy within the Spider ETF business at State Street Global Advisors. Our second guest is Alex Shahidi, managing partner and co-chief investment officer at Evoke Advisors. We especially want to thank State Street Global Advisors for sponsoring today's discussion because it's our sponsors that provide opportunities for ETF think tank advisors to learn how to be better investment decision makers and to help grow their practice. So now let's listen into what our guests bring to the table in today's conversation. Hello and welcome to another uh, ETF Think Tank Exchange. Thank you for joining us. We have an exciting and I think, frankly, information-packed discussion today uh, with two superb guests. We're joined by Max Gold, who's the head of uh, Gold Strategy at State Street, State Street Advisors, and Alex Shahidi, who is co-CIO and managing partner at Evoke Partners. Today, we'll be talking about gold, its implication, its use as an investment vehicle, um, how to use it within a portfolio allocation, uh, and we're going to get into a number of the intricacies of how the gold markets have been behaving uh, over the last uh, couple of periods. So you've joined us on a perfect day. We look forward to a, uh, a healthy discussion between our guests and David and myself. Today, especially, we want to uh, thank State Street Global Advisors for sponsoring today's discussion uh, because our sponsors support our ETF think tank advisors. And they provide opportunities for advisors to learn how to better do what they do and grow their practice. As I mentioned, we're delighted to be joined by Max Gold, who's the head of ETF Gold or, or head of Gold Strategy within the Spider ETF business at State Street. Before joining State Street Advisors in 2019, he served as the director for investment strategy at Aberdeen Standard Investments, heading macroeconomic and commodity thought leadership for its $3 billion. U.S. ETF business. Max holds a master's in finance from the Simon School of Business and a BA in economics from the University of Rochester. He's a CFA charter holder and also holds a Series 7 and 63 res, uh, registration. Max, welcome to the ETF Think Tank. David. How's it going, everyone? David Jakanski here. I'm a portfolio manager with Strasso Investments. We have a very great show on hand today. Our other esteemed guest, Alex Shahidi, is managing partner, co-chief investment officer at Evoke Aris. He has 20 years of experience in investment management, uh, started off with uh, Merrill Lynch and is author of the book, Balanced Asset Allocation, graduated cum laude from University of California, also received his JD from the University of California Hastings Law School. We have lots of experts, everything from gold to risk parity on this call today. So I think all things alternative asset classes and portfolio construction, it's going to be a really great conversation today. So. Max, let's start out at the beginning. Uh, can you uh, bring us up to speed on gold's performance over the past year and talk a little bit about how it's performed? Have you been surprised by anything that's been happening in the markets? Yeah, it's great to be here, David. Thanks for having me. And you know, I do think when you're looking at gold's performance year to date, it's down about 7 8% here in 2021. 
But I do think that your gold has been performing as expected. When you take a look back, you know, how it's performed in recent years, 2019, it was up 18%. Last year, 2020, it was up 25%. So it's no surprise that gold's taking a little bit of a breather, finding a, a period of consolidation at a higher level compared to where we were just a few years back. Gold was trading at $1,200, $1,300 per ounce. And I do think when you look at the structural fundamental demand drivers of gold, last year especially, this year is how I'm framing it to a lot of clients and a lot of people I speak to is a year of recalibration. And when you look at 2020, it was a year of tremendous strength and investment demand for gold in response to the pandemic and volatility in the marketplace. But again, on the flip side, we saw you know, record-breaking weakness on the jewelry demand side of gold last year. And again, that is sort of where you're seeing a recalibration, a return to longer-term averages in terms of the levels of demand for both investment demand and jewelry. And from that perspective, I do think that you know, gold has been performing as expected. It's still you know, being driven by key factors that we pay attention to a lot, particularly what's happening with inflation, interest rates, the dollar, investment sentiment. But again, it, it's you know, taking into account the fundamental part of that equation as well, what's happening with jewelry, you know, central bank demand. You know, I do think that gold is sort of you know, not surprising, taking a little bit of a, of a breather as it, you know, I do think that we're in the middle of a longer term secular bull market for gold that began about five, six years ago. I always think it's interesting, though, when, when advisors and investors look at an asset class like gold and try to put its performance in perspective on its own, right? Because it's not meant to just be a return enhancer. These are portfolio diversifiers. Alex, can you talk a little bit about like how, work, how gold works in a structured portfolio and how a 7% down year, if actually rebalanced like throughout the year, actually might be a good thing and actually add value? over that same time period. Sure. Uh, thank, thank you for having me. It's, it's, it's always fun having these discussions. Um, gold, I think of as another asset class that has a certain bias to the economic environment, and it tends to do better when the, when the economy is weak. So 2020, uh, in the first quarter, it was up when most things were down. Um, and you think about the decade of the 2000s, it did really well. Um, so, so I think of it within that context, just like I do any asset class. And, and how it fits in a portfolio is ultimately you want a diversified mix of asset classes that do well in different environments. You want things that go up over time, but go up and down at different times. And, and so gold might be down this year. It was up a lot last year, as Max mentioned. And you know the old adage of buy low, sell high, when something is down, you buy more of it. When it's up, you sell a little bit and you rebalance as, as you just mentioned, David. And you keep doing that um, and you do it uh, systematically and try to do it without emotion, uh, you tend to hold up really well over time. Alex, if you think about sort of um, a traditional investor's approach to using asset classes, um, we're at Sorosa, we're big believers in the idea of diversification, having that different uh, return profile. But I think many investors, when they find that a particular asset class is declining in value, will use that as an exit strategy. How do you think about that tolerance? How do, the, um, how do you know that it's not not working uh, as opposed to just a period of underperformance. Yeah, it's a great question. The way the way uh, we think about it is, you have to look at how asset classes behave given what has transpired in terms of the economic environment, and we think of it in terms of inflation and growth, which are typically the two big drivers of, of asset class returns. Um, and certain assets do well when inflation is rising, and others do well when inflation is falling. And the same thing with growth. During weak economic periods, certain assets are biased to do well and vice versa. 
And so I think you have to look at what, how the asset class has performed relative to what happened and, and determine if that makes sense. And usually it does. And if that's the case, and we know the environment constantly shifts, you shouldn't, you shouldn't chase returns and sell the losers and buy the winners. You should actually probably do the opposite. And, and I think being able to remove yourself from the emotional impulse of selling something that's doing poorly because you expect it to continue to do poorly, you know, studies have shown the best time to buy something is when it's down, not when it's up. Um, and so by, by having this more systematic framework, you're less likely to, to you know, buy low and sell high. And momentum is such a hot trend right now, especially in the equity markets, everything from strategies to retail investors. And quite frankly, people have been rewarded, but trying to take that same philosophy and apply it to your alternative bucket makes no sense at all. As Alex alluded to, that mean reversion in your alt bucket is what gives you that dry powder for everything else. So That's right. Uh, uh, Max, can you talk to us about correlations uh, as we're thinking about performance on a relative basis? What do correlations look like in the gold market? Yeah, I think you know, when you talk about correlations, you need to take a step back and open up your, your window, your time horizon a little bit longer term. I think a lot of people get focused on very short-term correlations on a daily, weekly basis these days. And I do think when you look longer term, you know, 12 months, three years, five years, even longer for gold, you know, it's had a persistent low correlation to global equities, global fixed income, and pretty much other alternative assets out there. So it is really a standalone asset class. It's very unique. And the reason that it has such a persistent low correlation over time is the fact that it's driven by both cyclical drivers of demand, primarily jewelry, technology, industrial demand for gold and the countercyclical uh, drivers of demand, primarily investment demand. And when you think about that, that cyclical and countercyclical drivers of demand, they come online at different stages of a full cycle. And when you add that together, gold has a persistent low correlation to the economic cycle, the business cycle, the market cycle, and overall provides tremendous diversification from that standpoint. If you're looking a little bit shorter term, you know, I do think that it's important to keep an eye on that, making sure that there isn't some kind of systemic breakdown of correlations of gold uh, to other asset classes. But, you know, again, right now, if you look at how gold's performed over the last year, you know, it was, you know, down a little bit during the drawdown in uh, Q1 at the peak of the pandemic when equities were down 30 plus percent. But again, on a contribution basis to your portfolio, it was providing a negative correlation, even though it did have a slight negative return. So. I do think that gold is a very unique asset class. It provides tremendous diversification through that low correlation to not just stocks and equities, but fixed income and credit as well. And I do think, you know, it's important to keep in mind, you know, even if it may not be uh, performing positively on a return basis, it's bringing a lot of power because of its correlation, how it behaves versus other asset classes out there. And if I may, if I may add to Max's point, uh, what I've noticed in my you know couple decades of advising clients and being on the front lines in terms of the thinking of the investors, it's very easy to zoom in on onto what's been happening most recently and extrapolate that into the future. And, and it's really important, as Max uh, described, is, is to zoom out. And you, you can do both. You can zoom in and zoom out, but it's really important to zoom out and view these assets over longer periods of time. And when you do that, it becomes a lot more obvious that they zig and zag through time. They, you know, they go through good and bad periods, all of them. And when something is in a bad period, most likely it's going to be in a good period in the next cycle and vice versa. And, and if you zoom out enough and you can see those, those patterns, 
you're less likely to just chase whatever is doing the best and focus more on how do you build a diversified portfolio, which means own things that you should expect certain assets to do poorly at times. Uh, if they're all doing well at the same time, they may all be doing poorly at the same time. So I think if you think about it from that uh, perspective, it can lead to better decision-making. And I 100% agree with you, but I think that's a harder and harder conversation for advisors to have with their clients these days. Yes. We had a 128-month expansion, a two-month recession, and then a massive, massive bull market, right? And it's just getting harder and harder to tell that story, which is why we think some unique strategies in the alt bucket, such as like a risk parity approach, can kind of do all those dirty work things for you in, in one basket that has less sticker risk to your clients, right? Because sometimes it's that shock of telling your clients, yes, this thing was down 20, 30% and we're about to buy more of it. It's a harder and harder conversation in this kind of extended bull market that we're having to have. That's right. Yeah. As, as humans, we're, we're trained when we're analyzing a portfolio or whatever we're looking at, our eyes go to the thing that's doing poorly. And our, our reaction is, how do we fix this thing that's doing poorly? Because if we fix the thing that's doing bad, it'll make the whole thing better. And investing is very counterintuitive in many ways. And probably the most obvious is, is the thing that's doing poorly is probably what you want to add to, not sell. And it's, and it's so different from most of you know, what we live through in, in our daily lives, where you sell the underperformers. If, if an employee is underperforming, you, you, you sell them. If, if you, you know, are seeing something else that's not doing well, most likely that's a good predictor of future results. Even though we see this warning of, of uh, you know, past performance is not indicative of future, people widely uh, ignore that warning uh, in investing. And I think a lot of it is because there's an emotional pull to, to do that. And, and I think that's largely based on our experience outside of the investment world. So I, I completely agree with everything you said, but I'm going to question one thing you said there, because sure. you did talk about obviously investing things that are down and in alternatives that makes a whole lot of sense, but there are, there are asset classes that, you know, you are essentially catching a falling knife, right? Mm -hmm. And while we all believe in the credit and the faith of the U.S. government, the, the dollar and our debt. Um, we are in talks of debt ceilings right now and the credibility of our debt, et cetera. And I think that actually separates gold in this environment more so than other alternatives, because I, I don't think you're necessarily you have that risk of potentially catching that falling knife. Max, if you could comment on that a little bit further, just in this environment with the debt ceiling, what are you seeing with like gold and, and treasuries and, and the potential for risk going forward? Because I, I just see much less risks in the gold market uh, than I do in treasuries. In yeah, the next, I mean, if, you, yeah. if you look at gold over the last 12 months, obviously we hit a, a prior peak of about you know, $2,000 an ounce last summer. We've seen a pullback of about 10, 12% since then. And it's found a period of consolidation in that 1650 to 1850 range in terms of price and trading right now. And I do think that you know when you're looking at you know, gold from a, that perspective, I agree. It is there are a lot of the negative sentiment, a lot of the momentum-driven flows have come and went. You know, in Q4 last year, Q1 earlier this year, we've seen you know some outflows in you know gold ETFs globally. We've seen the performance drag. Sentiment has certainly certainly turned more bearish as of late. But I do think that we're beginning to hit that peak bearishness. In fact, I think we hit it earlier this year. So I do think from a pure strategic uh, perspective. Now is the time to be looking to build exposures, allocations to gold strategically for your portfolios, because not only is it attractive from a 
valuation perspective relatively compared to other asset classes like equities, which are continued at higher and higher valuations. But I do think that you know building that that robust portfolio that you know can hedge against both the known risks and the unknown risks out there. You mentioned you know the debt ceiling, you know, flashback a decade, August 2011. I think we all remember where we were when the uh, U.S. Uh, treasuries were downgraded from AAA down to AA by some of the rating agencies, and the impacts you know that had in the marketplace. You know, gold hit its prior peak about $1,900 an ounce uh, during that period. And uh, you know, I think it's important to put in perspective: is that the same type of volatility we'll see this go around if we you know don't increase the debt ceiling? It's, it's anyone's guess, but I do think that you know that's the types of risks that you can't you know accurately project, you can't accurately forecast, you know what could be the downstream impact that gold provides diversification for, that other alternatives can provide you know, a diversification for your portfolio. It's it's often you know I view gold as a core risk management tool. It's multifaceted. It's not always the best hedge out there for every situation and every scenario in the marketplace, but it's robust enough that it will give you some form of protection for your portfolio. And I do think that that given the fact that gold is relatively low cost hedge or low cost source of diversification for those risks, both known and unknown, it provides tremendous power uh, for investors out there. Yeah, uh, Max, you make an important point because at the time of this recording, there's talk about trying to raise the debt ceiling here at the federal government level. And it's unknown as to whether or not that's actually going to happen or at least when it's going to happen. And I think that that could pretend some additional volatility in the markets. Max, can you comment a little bit also physical gold versus other ways to get exposure to the gold markets? Do you have any perspectives on that? Yeah, I do. I get this question a lot. You know, what's the best way to implement an exposure to gold directly through the commodity, the metal itself, through other vehicles, other investment options out there? And again, at the end of the day, I'm taking an agnostic view from an asset class perspective and what the impact from uh, your portfolio is going to be. And you know, when you look at gold, the commodity, the metal itself, it provides a different exposure because you're investing in you know, the commodity itself, which is driven by its own market compared to some other options out there that may be linked towards more of a production side, say miners, or you know, maybe more directly through futures contracts that you are taking on different um, you know, uh, you know, dynamics out there in terms of your performance. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm looking at just what is the impact from holding gold, the exposure of the metal itself to your portfolio? How does it behave versus you know, equities during significant drawdowns? You know, and at the end of the day, it has its own unique exposure, its own unique beta, because it's driven by its market fundamentals of supply and demand. And that's very different from other asset classes that may take on a lot more equity factor risks, such as you know, other liquid alternatives with still are you know, valid investments an important part of your strategic portfolio. But again, when you look at gold's performance, it, it has a different exposure in terms of the drawdown, the low correlation, and, and the overall exposure, because it's not caught up in a lot of those factors that are driving equity-like investments that you know, are, are very different uh, compared to gold. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say in, in many ways, you can view it as, as a complement to bonds. Where, where bonds are yielding so little now and bonds are in your portfolio because they're supposed to go up when equities go down. And particularly when the economy suddenly surprises to the downside, like we saw in Q1 of last year. And gold serves some of those uh, characteristics. And, um, and so you go back to Q1 of last year, it went up when equities went down a lot. Same thing happened in 2008, gold was up. And by the way, most other commodities were negative during that period which shows you how different gold is from other industrial commodities. So it does serve that strong diversification uh, benefit. 
And you can think of it as a complement to bonds because bond yields are so low. Now, you know, gold obviously has zero yield, but that's not much lower than bond yields. So, um, so it's, it's actually a very interesting time for, for that asset class. Yeah. And on that point, Alex, I get this question a lot too, is like Warren Buffett's famous for saying he doesn't like gold. It doesn't give you interest or coupon or anything. And my argument is, well, that's exactly why I want gold. I'm not holding gold for my yield. The fact that it has zero return, uh, zero yield, uh, it doesn't give me any kind of cash flow. It, I'm holding that in my portfolio exactly because it doesn't provide that exposure. I have fixed income, cash, other securities that are going to generate that income. The fact that gold gives me zero yield, okay, I can accept that, but it is important from a risk management perspective. But to your point, Alex brings up a good point is, you know, in a negative real yield environment, and in certain parts of the world, a negative nominal yield environment, your know, gold is very attractive from just the, from a relative perspective. Yeah, and and obviously you can think of gold more as a currency than and a storeholder wealth. Um, and in a world where money printing is the you know the medicine for any economic downturn or weakness, uh, because interest rates are pinned at zero and you can't really lower short-term interest rates much more. So if we do get an economic downturn. What's going to happen if you just play the scenario? Most likely, we're going to get printing of money, you know, in the U.S. and in Europe and Japan. And when you're debasing paper fiat currencies, and gold has a finite supply, then gold and dollar and yen and euro terms is likely to appreciate. So that's that's another way to think about it. Okay, you guys have brought up a host of great topics that I want to get into. Part of which is gold as a fixed income replacement. But I also want to talk about asset allocation and, and where gold fits within the context of a portfolio overall. So let me start out with the fixed income piece, and then Dave, I'll turn to you on the asset allocation piece. Um, Alex, you run a risk parity strategy. Um, what are you hearing from advisors in terms of thinking of gold exposure in one form or another relative to their portfolio? Are, are they are, are we in a world where it's a, still a 60-40 portfolio and risk parity fills one of those buckets? Or are people actually thinking about replacing their fixed income exposure with something like this? Um, well, the conversations that I'm having, uh, I think advisors and their clients are thinking about restructuring the entire framework of their portfolios. Uh, because if you think historically, 60-40 uh, worked fine because stocks and bonds were you know, zero correlated or negatively correlated at periods and yields were falling. So you had this tailwind supporting both the stock and bond markets. Now looking forward, you have you know, near zero yields in bonds, uh, equities are relatively expensive, and inflation is the biggest concern looking forward. So all of those are bad for a 60-40 portfolio. So, so if you think about what the future, you know, let's say five to 10 years looks like, it's a big guess as to if we're going to have high inflation, we could even have deflation if we end up like Japan. Um, you know, all this money printing and zero interest rates, what does it mean? Um, all, all the political concerns, the debt ceiling talk, there's just so many big uh, forces at play. So the, the potential outcomes in the future could be wide ranging and the, the odds of an extreme outcome is greater. Um, and so being really well diversified is probably the most important thing. That's probably the biggest message I, I would share today. And 60-40 isn't really that well diversified. Um, it's, it's equity dominated. You know, you have something, you have 60% in a volatile asset, 40% in a low volatile asset. And so that portfolio as a whole is going to be over 90% correlated to what the stock market does. You basically have all your eggs in one basket without realizing it. And I think people are starting to um, become aware of that. 
And so we think of it in the risk parity framework where effectively you own assets that do well in different environments. So you protect yourself against all those outcomes and then you risk balance them so that for the most part, you're indifferent to what the future looks like. And that means owning assets like equities, um, even treasuries, even with their low yields, because if you get a downturn, it's likely to appreciate. Uh, things like gold fit in really well because that's a downside growth asset. Uh, it's also an inflation hedge. Uh, tips are a very attractive asset class. Commodities, these are things that are typically not uh, well-owned in portfolios. And if you can put it all into uh, a portfolio that is well-balanced across all those assets, now you have you have a much more robust portfolio that's likely to survive the next storm that we go through. I think you uh, you put it lightly when you said they're they're difficult to own asset classes, right? There, there are these asset classes that we we're just talking about in this bull market that uh, not have not necessarily independently on their own performed amazingly over long periods of time, but these are rebalancing tools outside of maybe treasuries. But these are some of the hardest assets to own, right? So doing it in a structural way that forces that logical rebalancing is makes a ton of sense. And at Teroso, one of the things we always talk about in the fixed income market is what are you really looking for in your bond portfolio? One of the, one of the risks people haven't seen is the increase in duration in ag. There's more and more risks entering into your overall benchmark as well. And we split fixed income into two categories. It's actual yield and income and then diversification. And that comes from your duration, your high credit quality duration, which is your long-term treasuries. So mixing these things together and how you mix them and how you balance them is the most important, which is why we think a risk parity strategy really brings like a great approach to do this all in one in this tax friendly wrapper. So, Max, your thoughts? Are you hearing advi advisors saying that they want to use this as a fixed income replacement? Uh, I wouldn't say replacement, but to echo Alex's early comments, I think a compliment. I think that makes a lot more sense because no one's advising sell your fixed income, sell your bonds and replace it solely with gold. I do think, you know, certainly taking a strategic allocation on a prorated basis. So again, looking at your total portfolio, financing anywhere from two to 10% strategically and adding that to gold makes a lot of sense. And again, it is a reflection of the overall macroeconomic environment we're in, the yield environment that we're in, and the fact that it's becoming more difficult to achieve the target returns that a lot of investors have for their portfolios in this low yield environment, you need to take more risk. They need to take more equity risk, more risk in credit markets and more risk in alternatives. And again, it's important to manage that risk that you're taking. You're going further out on the risk spectrum. You want to make sure that you're properly right sizing your risk taking. And I do think that gold is very unique asset that provides some of that downside protection, some of that diversification. Again, I'm not saying that gold is the sole answer, but from a comprehensive holistic portfolio perspective, it is an important component that should be part of every portfolio out there. And just to add to what Max said, because I think this is really important, is there is a tendency to sell you know, high quality bonds and buy lower quality bonds because the yield is higher and to own more equities. Because if you're thinking of it from a 60-40 uh, framework and the 40 has a low yield, you have to fix that. So there, you're moving towards credit. And because the yield even there is low, it's not really high yield anymore, it's low yield. And, and so there's a bigger allocation to equities and things that act like equities. So portfolios are probably less diversified today than they were five or 10 years ago. And so if you think about the next economic downturn, nobody knows when it's going to occur, but it will. Portfolios have all this credit and equity risk. And so that, all those things would probably go down at the same time. So it's really important to add diversifiers to the portfolio that would actually do the opposite. 
So things that would actually go up when you get an economic downturn. And so uh, bonds provide that, but there's limited upside. But gold is a really good fit there because it's likely to appreciate because if you get an economic downturn, you're going to get printing of money, which is good for gold. And so you saw that in, in the last, I'd say, four or five major downturns, gold rallied. And so that, that fits really well within that framework, especially now given all the move towards equity and credit risk. I, I think we've talked in the past about the idea that gold is in some form uh, insurance. And just like any other form of insurance, you don't want to buy it when your house is on fire. You want to buy it beforehand so that it's actually in place. For advisors that are listening in, for investors who are thinking about their portfolios and maybe underweight either commodities or gold in particular, I want to come back to you. Ranges, how do we think about allocating to this? Um, you know, low end, high end, how much would you ideally like to see somebody have within a portfolio? Max first you, and then I'll come to Alex. Yeah, again, my team here at State Street done a ton of research on this, you know, extensively about optimal allocation of gold in a multi-asset portfolio. And again, the conclusion that we come up with is you want to have strategically long-term anywhere from two to 10% of your portfolio allocated to gold. And again, that provides enough benefit, enough contribution to your portfolio that you're improving your sharp ratio, reducing your portfolio volatility, potentially improving your portfolio return. And again, you know, I think it's important that you know, gold it helps reduce those drawdowns because that's what helps create your portfolio asymmetry performance over time, where if you reduce your drawdown and keep up with the market on the upside, again, you're going to outperform over time as that compounds. And again, I think gold is hugely important in helping provide protection against that downside for your portfolio. So really strategically, rule of thumb, we, we advise 2 to 10%. Again, it can vary depending on risk profile, other investment considerations. But again, it's interesting if you look at just the overall size of the gold market, you know, there's an estimated about $10, $11 trillion market capitalization to all the gold that's ever been mined since you know, the dawn of human civilization. And when you compare that to equities overall, you know, it's about $90, $100 trillion global equities market capitalization. So just based on a relative ratio, you, you know, the overall market capitalization, the market portfolio indicates that you should have about 6 or 7% allocated to gold to just be invested in the global market portfolio. The average, average investor I talk to has, doesn't have 7% allocated to gold. Let's say it's well below that, if on average it's probably not even invested in, in the asset class. And I think that you know, represents a huge underinvestment of exposure to gold. And you know, a lot of investors out there that can benefit from to get, uh, getting better exposure, you know, better risk-taking for their portfolios by having you know, one of the oldest investments out there being uh, physical gold. And Max, that's a great point. Alex, advisors, uh, you use gold actually within your um, within your risk parity strategy. How do you think about weighting that within a portfolio? Um, yeah, similar to Max, I'm more in the five to ten percent range. And and to David's point earlier, I, I would go as high as you can to the point where you're comfortable that you're not going to sell it when it's having a bad year like this year. And and in fact, you would probably add to it. Um, in, in a year like this. And, and so if that's all within a wrapper, that's easier to accomplish. If it's on a separate account basis, your eye is going to go to the red and say, oh, what's, what's wrong with this? Um, and, and so I think that's, that's part of the psychology of investing. Um, but but if, you, if you plug it into an optimizer and use, you look at returns for the last 50 years, um, you know, equities and gold aren't that far off in terms of their total returns. Uh, since we came off the gold standard, I think uh, gold is underperform equities by about a percent a year for 50 years. And the correlation is about zero. And they go through long stretches, both of them, of, of doing really well and doing poorly. 
and they tend to not coincide with one another. Uh, so that's a great diversifier. And, and, and David, you talked a little bit earlier about insurance. Most insurance costs a premium. This is insurance that actually pays you a premium. So you can think of it as, as I'm going to give you fire insurance and I'm going to pay you to own it. Uh, why would you not want something like that in your portfolio? That's, that's you know, our perspective. Yeah, I think we've never been in a marketplace where you're less rewarded for credit, for taking credit risk. Um, so, and I think that's why specifically all of us are really highlighting the benefits of treasuries in your portfolio for that diversification versus the broader fixed income marketplace. And I think that's why you heard David Armstrong really question, like, what are we doing with the 60-40? Like, if we are just looking for a small bit of protection, that's why gold and strategies that take all these kind of boring, bad alts and mix it into one and do it for you, we think are a good solution to provide that balance and ballast in your portfolio for pretty much any market that could come in the near future. Um, irregardless of debt ceilings or any individual performance on any one individual asset class, because uh, it, it takes that step of doing the hard work for you um, unemotionally, which I think, again, right now seems you know, not that hard to do. In March, I think people really understood how difficult it was to invest in emotional periods. And that probably won't be the last time we are in an environment like that again in the future. So, yeah. Guys, I want to go to the Fed. Uh, and also embedded within the Fed and macroeconomic policy, I want to touch on cryptocurrencies because I think in some respects, investors are asking the question whether or not gold is like crypto or is a complement to crypto. Um, so let's start out there with the Fed first, and then we'll go to crypto. Is the Fed, does the Fed have a bias toward the gold markets or against the gold markets, Max? Yeah, I would say... The Fed in its daily operations, its FOMC meetings, it's not giving huge consideration for the impact of the gold market. Um, but I do think your know, gold is, is closely intertwined to the decisions of monetary policy by the Fed, as well as by the ECB, the BOJ in Japan, and other central bankers uh, globally. So I do think that you know, what happens to policy rate decisions and the impact to rate markets in, in, the, you know, in every day is hugely important to gold. And again, it comes back to that relationship of Gold has a zero yield. It does well when real yields are low or negative from a relative uh, perspective. You know, again, zero is better than negative yield on any asset out there. And again, to Alex's point, gold gives you diversification, that you know, premium, the optionality of a positive return over time. And I do think that that's really what is of consideration uh, from, from the Fed's perspective. An interesting uh, trend that we've seen over the last decade, you know, a little bit tangential to this, is that central bankers globally, primarily in Europe, Eastern Europe, emerging markets, have been net buyers of gold, adding gold to their reserves for reserve management, reserve diversification. And again, the rationale behind that is that gold is a deep liquid market. It's an asset that's homogenous, it's accepted everywhere, has no credit risk, no counterparty risk. And a lot of emerging market central banks out there have been adding gold to diversify away from a lot of dollar-denominated assets out there. Again, not saying that they're selling 80% of their dollar assets down to zero overnight, again, strategically over decades, looking to diversify and be more robust in their reserve uh, management from that perspective. And that's been a huge boost for demand for gold over the last decade. And we expect that to persist over the next decade. In fact, I, I wrote a recent white paper that outlined this as a key secular trend to help support gold's outlook over the next decade. And I do think you know that's important because when you look at emerging market holdings of gold, 
compared to their uh, developed market counterparts, you know, it's, it's a basically two thirds of reserves held by developed market economies are made up of gold, whereas only about you know, one twelfth of that is made up of emerging markets. So again, they're holding a lot more fiat currencies in euro and dollar terms and yen terms. And again, I think they have a lot more to catch up just to get up where their developed market counterparts are in terms of how much they gold they have as a, as a uh, percentage of their total uh, FX reserves. Everyone talks about the uh, crypto market as the market with with the holders, right? But you could actually argue that in in this current environment, I think gold might be the the true holder asset, right? Without many sellers, um, not potential increase for buyers, but I think the, you know, like you said, the boring kind of sleepy alts that people don't like to talk about as much. I think um, I, I I don't really see a case for many sellers in this market. What's the bear market for gold if you had to? outline one because sometimes that's the best way to give credence to uh, an investment is to negate the uh, the negative so. yeah I, mean, I think from my point of view the downside scenario for gold again i'm, I'm awaiting a, a low probability to this is you know again if we get a dramatic rise of interest rates in the short term that could be certainly a headwind for gold if we get a slower recovery in emerging markets because if you think about the gold drivers uh, from a demand perspective jewelry demand you know, emerging market demand from investment is hugely important every year. So again, if we get a slowdown of reopening recovery from emerging market economies, that could certainly be a headwind for gold. But again, based on the data we've seen to date, we're beginning to see a recovery in emerging markets. The Fed, you know, despite the comments they have around tapering and trying to plan out their, you know, their rate policies, overall expectations that will be in a low real yield environment. And I do think that this is good for gold overall. So I do think, you know, that that's some, some risk take in consideration. And you know, when you look historically on average, the US real rate, real yield environment, you know, gold on average has performed positively on a given month when uh, you know, real yields are below positive 2%. So again, where we are today, we're about negative 85 basis points in real yields in the US based on a 10 year. And again, I think there's a lot more room to run before we get into that uh, yield rate environment that's hugely disadvantageous to gold in terms of its long-term performance. Alex, do you see a bear case for for gold? And if you do, how does a risk parity strategy provide ballast against that? Sure. Um, you know, it's interesting. When you look at the last time interest rates spiked, so this is the 1970s, gold was up 30% a year for that decade. And, and, it, and it's not because interest rates rose. It's because the economic environment that transpired. You had rising inflation, right? So inflation really took off. And... And that's one of the, re and, and actually growth was really weak. We were in a stagflationary environment uh, during that decade. And that's actually a very good environment for gold. So it's not so much whether rates go up or down. A lot of it has to do with what the environment, why did they go up or down? And, and if it's because of rising inflation and weak growth, like we saw in the 1970s, that's probably a good period for, for gold. But gold was negative uh, for the next 20 years. In the 80s and 90s, uh, it was negative because you had, you had falling inflation and rising growth, which is the opposite environment in which uh, gold is biased to do well. So, so I think a lot of it has to do with the environment. So if you get the 80s and 90s type of period, that's probably a bear market for, for gold. And to, and to your second question, that's also a bull market for equities and, and, and other asset classes, maybe uh, commodities do well um, if, if growth is really strong. So, so the way uh, from a risk parity framework, you're not so worried about, about individual asset classes, you're thinking of it more from a whole, because the environment that causes one to do poorly is the same environment that causes something else to do well. 
And, and the whole point of it is, is you don't have to guess what that's going to be. Because as, as we talked about earlier, we could have high inflation in, in, in the US, we could have low inflation. Uh, growth could be strong, it could be really weak. Uh, there's, there's really good arguments on both sides. And how it nets out is just really hard to guess. And also, it's, it, it may fluctuate through time. We may have a spike in inflation like we are now. It may fall when, when some of these transitory supply chain issues uh, pass. And, and there's, there's, all these, there's all this back and forth. Um, so within a risk parity framework, you own all the assets, you balance across them. When something's underperforming, you buy a little bit more. When it's outperforming, you sell a little bit. And by maintaining that balance through time, you're for the most part indifferent to what the environment looks like. And gold it has a very important role within that framework. It's funny you mentioned the insane number of outcomes that could occur in this market over the next three to six months. Um, and I think one of the things we've been saying at Torosa for quite some time is the one thing we are sure of is that the current market environment and the perception of which one we're in is going to change many times over, right? And so, as he alluded to, then it's not just owning them, it's then rebalancing them. And if you do think that we're in this regime where today we think it's inflation and tomorrow it's deflation and the next day it ends up stagflation with an employment issue and all of these shifts in perceptions, these are going to all create rebalancing moments in these asset classes. And again, that's why the risk parity wrapper is a good way to deliver it, to remove that emotion from all those decisions. Just look at the last two years. So a year and a half ago, all the headlines were, are we going through a deflationary period? Is this going to be a depression? You know, unemployment quadrupled in two months. You know, the stock market fell 33% in five weeks. That was just a year and a half ago. And now it's the opposite. Inflation's a problem, right? And, and what is the Fed going to do to fight inflation? And our rates are going to rise. Is, is the economy too strong, too hot? It's literally the opposite of where we were just a year and a half ago. And, and, you know, obviously you throw in a pandemic and it can, you know, make the economy uh, run all over the place um, and, and the stimulus and the response to, to that. Um, but that just gives you a sense of what we've actually lived through. Look at the wide range of outcomes just in the last couple of years. And, and you fast forward to the next several years, there's a lot of, there's the debt ceiling issue that's going to be ongoing. Um, there's inflation. Is it transitory? Is it, is it uh, permanent? Um, what, what is the political outcome? What's the appetite to continue to provide all the stimulus? Uh, who's going to pay for that? Is it more money printing? Is it taxes? What impact does that have on economic growth? There's all these factors. And they're all, these are not small numbers. These are massive numbers. Alex, can you touch base on purchasing power? Excuse me, purchasing power. As we talk about risks of inflation, uh, do investors think about preserving purchasing power? And what, if any, merit does gold have in that respect? Uh, well, gold is an excellent um, uh, store of wealth. So, you know, it's the oldest currency. It's been around thousands of years. And, and so it, it provides that support. Um, I don't know if most people think of purchasing power, uh, unless you lived through the 1970s and you were an adult and you were paying your own bills. Um, I think, you know, that was long enough ago where people forget the lessons. It's just like, you know, anybody who lived through the Great Depression, they never borrowed a penny ever again. And eventually that generation passes and, and those lessons are lost. I think the inflationary period lessons are starting to become lost. And, you know, we've had falling inflation or disinflation for since, you know, the last 40 plus years. And so, um, so I don't know if people really think in those terms. Um, and, you know, this is the first time we've had even talk of, of 
you know, concern about inflation uh, for, for many decades. Um, so maybe those will become uh, forefront on people's minds, but I don't, I don't see, you know, that type of concern quite yet. Max, how about you? Are you hearing anything from advisors uh, reflecting that same question? Yeah, I think you could sum up 2021 in one word in terms of investor concerns, it's inflation. I think that's certainly been the most topical theme, especially around gold commodities that's come up so far this year. But you know, I think you know, my view is I agree that we're in a transitory inflationary period. I don't see anything in terms of runaway inflation like we saw in the 1970s, that stagflationary period. Um, but I think when you're talking about gold, I agree with Alex, gold is a great store of value. It's great at preserving spending power, wealth, and, and purchasing power over very long periods. But in terms of gold's relationship to inflation, it's a little bit more nuanced. And I think you know, people kind of misunderstand it when they say, here's what CPI did and here's what gold did. You know, when you really look at gold's ability to preserve uh, purchasing power or preserve wealth over time, it's keeping up with price fluctuations as measured by CPI, PCE, whatever index you want to use, but alongside keeping up with any kind of fluctuations or devaluation in currencies. You know, if you look at the longest term periods, you know, gold has been that persistent you know, uh, currency over time that has not devalued as it has other reserve currencies historically, whether it be the British pound in the early 20th century, you know, the, the Deutsche Mark, you know, the US dollar in the later half of the 20th century. So again, every fiat currency, every reserve currency, you know, devalues over time from increased spending, increased deficits, increased debt loads. A lot of the concerns that investors are evaluating dealing with today, if you look at the state of affairs, and I do think, you know, gold provides that great edge to protect your wealth and preserve your spending power by keeping up with price fluctuations alongside currency uh, currency devaluation over time. So again, when I think inflation, I'm paying more attention to you know, what does inflation mean for the calculation, that formula of real interest rates and what it impacts gold from that relationship, as well as what does it mean primarily for the dollar? Because I think that's the biggest risk for every, every U.S. investor out there for their portfolios is their dollar exposure. We don't tend to think in those terms because everything is, in, is priced in dollars. We tend to you know, take into account our, our, our spending habits are in dollars. We don't take that factor of risk into play. But I do think when you're looking at inflation, a weaker US dollar is inherently inflationary. Your spending power decreases, and that's an important risk to evaluate. And I do think that gold's negative relationship to the US dollar historically can help provide some form of protection or, or diversification against that risk out there of inflation through currency devaluation, currency debasement, primarily for the dollar over the long run. I love your your comments there on, on the purchasing power of the dollar, just because I think as U.S. investors, um, we have a little freedom to think of our portfolios just in terms of U.S. equities and our own currency, because we're such a large part of the global marketplace. Um, there have been many studies, if, uh, I think there was a study done about 10 years ago, uh, from institutional investors in, in, in France, where 75% of the equity portfolios were in their own markets, um, in such a small market, and everyone has this home bias. And obviously, in the US, it's been beneficial to have this home bias. But in this spat of inflation that we're seeing now is really where that question of this US-only home bias is really being put into question in advisors' minds. And I think one of the difficulties around gold is it doesn't always respond one for one on the day that you would hope from a correlation perspective and its response to inflation, whether it be in the 70s or a recession in 2008, 2009, 
or hopefully even now in response to inflation we're seeing now, sometimes it's a lagging responder. Um, and it's just really finicky and hard to rebalance on a day-to-day basis in your portfolio because of that. Um, so I actually think that there, there is a case for a bull run just because of this inflation that we've already experienced that's pent up to come in the next three to six months. Yeah, I mean, gold is is never going to be the best predictor of future inflation. But again, over time, it does give you that protection that helps you preserve your spending power, your wealth, and protects your portfolio from that standpoint. And again, a lot of people think sort of this perfect correlations, perfect relationship negatively between inflation and gold. Inflation is going to rise. You know, the price of milk is higher. You know, therefore, gold should be higher. But again, when you look in the aggregate and you look over time, it's much more important to focus in on where is that inflation likely going to be coming from? And I do think it's important to keep an eye on what's happening with you know, the impact to currencies, especially. Yeah. And there's different types of inflation, right? There's monetary inflation where they're just the basement of paper money and printing and printing and printing, which is the formula today. And that, that bodes really well for assets like gold. And I think that's part of the reason you're seeing this big move in cryptocurrencies is because there's a recognition that, that the, the formula for, uh, resolving an economic downturn is to print money. And, and this is in the US and across most of the developed world. And so there's this bigger concern about what is paper money really worth what, what we think it is and what's the long-term risk of that. And so gold has, has benefited from that. And, and now there's big moving cryptocurrencies and another looking for something else besides paper money. Um, so I think thinking of it from that perspective is really important because you know our, our biggest job as advisors is to protect our clients against catastrophic loss. That's that's by far the most important thing. It's easy to lose sight of that. Um, and and you know what Max described earlier is as in terms of the risk of all this printing of money. Where does it end? Is there a breaking point? Um, you know, gold is one of those things that is likely to do really well if we you know unfortunately hit that point. Why well, you guys have been superb as both guests and frankly, for anybody who's listening to us today, you've provided a wealth of information. David, one of the things that's impressed me the most today is that for investors or advisors who are listening to what we're talking about today, there are two great options that they have. Uh, pure exposure to the gold markets through Max and his team, or um, uh, through an individual strategy to help incorporate that in the dress statement risk. Alex, I think what you do with risk parity is a very thoughtful way of combining these different asset class exposures and then managing that over time. Alex, if investors have questions, how do they contact you? What's the best way? Um, uh, rparetf.com is, is, is a website. Um, so that could be a, a good way to get in contact with us. Gotcha. And Max, for you, best way for investors who have questions to contact you? Yeah, you can reach us at uh, spideretfs.com. You know, certainly reach out to us uh, for questions about our gold ETFs or any of our, our product suite out there. Certainly a ton of resources uh, for anyone that has uh, follow-up questions. Great. David. And also, we would like to thank all of you, our listeners. Obviously, this is all for you. So hopefully you have uh, enjoyed our conversation here today. Um, at the ETF Think Tank, we're not just about, obviously, investment advice and, and discussions. Uh, we also like to give and bring up charities to the forefront that resonate with our guests. So Alex has a charity here he'd like to mention, uh, if you guys all could consider. Um, Alex? 
Sure. Um, my favorite charity is City Year Los Angeles. Um, they invest in uh, Los Angeles students by helping prepare them for uh, the world by improving their social, emotional, and academic skills. So they go into schools and they really help these students uh, thrive. And obviously we know that students are the future of our country. They have an annual fundraiser called uh, Spring Break, uh, which is a lot of fun. They hold it at a major Hollywood studio for anybody on, on the West Coast. Um, they have celebrities there, a big band. Typically, it's a fun family event. Um, so you can visit them at cityyear.org uh, slash Los Angeles. Thank you. Alex, it's a great organization. And I think helping students is always something we're helping to build the future. And so uh, uh, thank you for the suggestion. And also, thanks for joining us today as a co-moderator. You've been a wonderful guest, um, Alex Shahidi from Evoke Advisors. And a big thank you to Max Gold, head of Gold Strategy for SSGA for joining us. And, and a big, big thank you to SSGA for sponsoring this and putting this all together for us. So, well, And of course, we wouldn't be here without our guests. Thanks for everybody who joined us today in our discussion. And for those that, have, you, that are listening to the podcast, uh, if you have further questions or want any additional information, feel free to contact us at the ETF Think Tank. It's easy to do that. Info at ETFThinkTank.com. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed during this event are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the sponsor or organizer. Information set forth during this event has been obtained or derived from sources believed by the participants to be reliable. However, neither the sponsor nor the organizer make any representation or warranty, express or implied, as to the information's accuracy or completeness, nor does the sponsor or organizer recommend that the information shared during this event serve as the basis of any investment decision and it has been provided to you solely for informational purposes only and does not constitute an offer or solicitation of an offer or any advice or recommendation to purchase any securities or other financial instruments and may not be construed as such. Past performance does not guarantee future results. This interview is being distributed for informational purposes only and should not be considered as investment advice or recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment product. It does not constitute legal or tax advice. The information provided is not intended as a complete analysis of every material fact, and the underlying assumptions and views are subject to change based on market and other conditions. All investments involve risks, including possible loss of principal.